This is the Teaching and Learning Podcast from the Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation at Lethbridge College in Southern Alberta, Canada. Located on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, it is the intent of our college community to honour the land from a place of connection and provide an avenue for us all to come together in a holistic way to share stories and learn from each other. Tune in, hit play, and get inspired as guests share their stories and ideas on the dynamic, ever-changing landscape of education, teaching, and learning. I am Donna McLaughlin, a learning experience designer in the Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation at Lethbridge College, and I am the host of the Teaching and Learning Podcast. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Learning Innovation Podcast. Today's guest is Tyler Wall, who is a digital learning specialist here at the Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation at Lethbridge College. Welcome, Tyler. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Tyler has a very interesting job, and he gets to work on some really fun projects. And so we're going to get into that more. But maybe, Tyler, we'll start from the beginning. Do you want to talk about your route to Lethbridge College? I actually came here back in, I think, I think it was 2004 and I came specifically from Saskatchewan. I came here for the digital uh, media course at the time. Um, so it was a two-year condensed course. So we, we went over, or no, it was a, a year and a half condensed course. It was two, it was supposed to be two, two years, four semesters, but they condensed it down to a year and a half. And that was really the selling point for me was I can get into school and be done quicker. And so went went through, did the did the program with a bunch of other people, and then we got a practicum. We our practicum, there was, I think there was 10 of us in the practicum. And back then they ran the practicum, and I think it was the last time they did it, where it was an actual full semester and you actually showed up and you worked a regular job. Now they have it different. It's like a certain amount of hours they have to do. So I we did that. There's 10 of us. They hired on, I think, seven of us or six or seven of us. And, and then slowly over the years that whittled down and whittled down to uh, there's three of us now, uh, myself, Lyle Ruggles and Rebecca Helmer. Um, she wasn't a Helmer at the time, but um, so yeah, they're down to three of us. And then another one showed up again, uh, just I think last year or the year before Melissa Reed Bogart, she came back and she was actually in our class as well. So it was kind of like she was gone for 10 years and then came back. So, so that was really interesting. And one of the former instructors, uh, Lauren Dimert, he was, uh, he didn't teach us, but he, he, he was instructing previous to us being there. So I think probably back in 2002, he was, he was instructing, but then he came back, uh, back in, I think 2010 is when he came back. So yeah, it's, it's basically like the alumni, uh, team over here. What a great opportunity as a student. That's really, you know, kind of what you want as a student, right? Is to get that experience and then to move into a position. And I imagine you've seen a lot of changes over that time. Oh man, so many changes. I mean, my job title changes basically every three years and it, it, it morphed it at the start. I was a, a media specialist. So I was just doing basically uh, whatever an instructor graphic design, video editing, um, all that kind of stuff. And then it morphed. And I just, I had a tendency for, for innovation, for creativity, for just 
trying to do new things um, and finding technology and apps and software and such. So they, they just fostered that in me. And it's been very good. Uh, Karen Harker at the time would, would give me new, new job roles, new job duties. And it was fun. It made work a lot of uh, very rewarding, I guess, what you could say. She and subsequent managers like Jackie have really leaned into me and others actually just working with that kind of stuff, like allowing us to grow naturally and organically. And it's it's great to hear that, you know, as an alumni, you've, you've found this fulfilling job and this great role. And I think most people do think of you in terms of, you know, working on these really cool projects and innovation. So how would you define innovation as you've grown in this role and, you know, through the different changes you've seen over the years? Oh, innovation. That's a, that's a really broad term and it's, it's a great term. Um, but I find that when people say innovation, it's like that word has a whole bunch of baggage to it. If I say innovation, people usually say, well, Apple, Apple's very innovative. Elon Musk, he's very innovative. And, I, and that's true. They are very innovative. And I think people have this over, over focus on that end product of inf- innovation, that um, the iPhone, the, you know, the electric car, those kind of things. And I think that's, it's apt, it, it, it works. But I, I find my definition of innovation is more the day-to-day grind of being discontent. And that may sound a little bit dark or something like that, but I just find that when I go through my day-to-day, I'll be, I'll be doing a task that I do every day and I'll just be, ah, there's got to be a different way. I joke that I, I've probably gone through about 50 different productivity processes I've tried all these ones uh, that when I go in there and I start doing it, I'm like, this is good. And then after a week, I'm like, eh, I'm just discontent. This is, there's got to be a better way. And so I find that innovation is actually just looking at the world and, and seeing things and being like, oh, you know what? This could probably be done better. I, there's got to be a better way. And so a lot of times when I move into innovate, innovative thinking, I'll, I'll just dive into a problem. And I'll, I call it seeding my subconscious. So I'll just immerse myself in a problem. And then I'll actually like put up sticky notes so I can see the problem all the time. And as I do that, and I have a really good example of this, uh, actually something we're going to talk about today is a really good example of this, um, where I just seed my subconscious. And then later on in the day, when I'm doing something completely different, all of a sudden pop, an idea will come in my head. And I'll be like, oh, hey, there we go. That, that can solve my problem. That'll, that'll be a good solution to the thing that I've been struggling with. Uh, so I like, I like to seed my, seed my subconscious prior to. And um, that seems to work out really well for me. But on the flip side, seeding your subconscious is actually just application uh, of doing a process uh, and allowing my curious nature, my creative nature to actually shine. And everybody has that creative nature. I've done a lot of creative workshops and I'll say that everybody's creative and at least half the room will roll their eyes at me. And I'm like, why are you, you're creative. You know, you are, when you were in kindergarten, you were creative. And 
And they all, they're all, uh, I don't think so. But as I walk them through creative processes, which is basically a creative process is very similar to an innovative process. They, they start to realize, oh my goodness, I am creative. I just never allowed myself to be creative. And I, through, through the processes that I, I walk people through, people call me an idea shotgun. And so I'll just, I'll throw out as many ideas as I can. And so I try and teach people to be able to be an idea shotgun and not accepting the, well, this can't be done. I try and, well, no, let's ask the question, can it be done? What if we did this? Would that make it easier to be done or harder? And just to ask those kind of questions. And is that, is that how you see um, innovation being related to collaboration? Absolutely. I think, of course, innovation can happen in a vacuum. Innovation can happen from anyone at any time. But I find that those instances are very rare. Even the Apple, the Elon Musk, uh, they didn't have these ideas, these innovations in a vacuum. Innovation and, and creativity are very much a collaborative process. And I, and I said earlier that I'm an idea shotgun. I throw out a lot of ideas. Now, the reason I do that, if you think of a shotgun, it has like thousands of pellets that it shoots out. And you may be shooting it at a, at a target that's, uh, you know, four inches by four inches. And 95% of those pellets are going to miss, but there's some that are going to hit. And so that's, that's my goal when I'm being an idea shotgun. And I often, when I'm talking about innovation and creativity, I, I have a term that I'm sure that I, I heard at one point and then adopted as my own. And so I don't claim ownership over this, but I always think of it on the left-hand side, you have an idea and it's a terrible idea. And on the right-hand side, you have another terrible idea. And it's when those two ideas merge and run into each other, new ideas pop out. And so I've, you know, I think like to think of it as idea sex. And so when two ideas come together, new babies come out, new idea babies. And so I, I often say that I have terrible ideas. And I, I, I think I do. I think 99% of my ideas are absolutely garbage, but I throw them all out in hopes that someone else is going to throw it, you know, 99% terrible ideas. And then two of those ideas are going to bang into each other and create new ideas, which are going to be actually good. And, and so you can't do that by yourself. You have to have someone else there to rattle those ideas off of. You have to, you know, I think some people say, well, I'm, I'm going to throw some ideas at the wall and see what sticks. That's another concept of the same kind of thing, right? If you're not throwing ideas, you're not going to hit them. What is uh, Wayne Gretzky? He, he often said, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You have to take the shot. And, and another thing that comes to mind is that when you're idea shotgunning, when you're throwing out as many ideas as you can, if you have any idea that is in your head that you don't put out, that will actually limit you from being able to come out with more. It's almost like there, there's a, the shotgun barrel is clogged. And if you clog that shotgun barrel with an idea, you're going to stop your ideas. And so innovation is about not allowing anything to clog that thing, clog, that, clog up that idea shotgun. You have to continually pump out all these terrible ideas. And part of that is, you know, that's the process. And, and if you're good at the process or have done it, as I like to say to my son, you just haven't practiced it enough. Um, you just don't know how to, you're filtering everything. And you're already, you're already saying, as soon as an idea pops in your head, you're like, oh, I can't do that. So I'm not going to. And so you've actually 
uh, inhibited someone else from being able to draw inspiration from your terrible idea. And so that, then that, that's the collaborative part of it. I know um, I, I will throw out ideas and someone else will throw out ideas and they'll hit me and I'll be like, haha, that's funny. I'm going to make a joke out of that. I'll make a joke out of a terrible idea. And, and all of a sudden someone else will make a joke and then another joke. And then all of a sudden somebody goes, wait a minute, that's actually a pretty good idea. And I'm like, Hey, you're right. That is now, if I didn't, you know, have fun, innovation's fun as well. Creativity's fun. Um, if you're not having fun, it, it's, it's going to be pretty, well, it's not going to be fun. So you're not going to want to do it. And so having fun actually allows people to be more innovative, be more creative. And I could see maybe having that, that fun attitude and, and it sounds like, you know, some optimism with that, because if, if many of your ideas, you know, do fail, you still got to have that optimism to keep throwing ideas out and move forward and look for those, those gems. Yeah, absolutely. My mindset is my ideas, as soon as I let them out, they're no longer mine. And it's like having kids once, you know, you have kids and then once they're 16, 18, time to leave the house. Well, they're not yours. They're, they're yours in the sense that, you know, you've, you've birthed them, but at the same time, they have their own life. And they can go and they, they get married and they, they have a life of their own at that point. And, and I like to think of my ideas like that. Well, once they're out, um, of course, their gestation period is a lot faster uh, than a child. But once they're out, other people are going to grab, them. they're going to, you know, play with them. And that's great. And that, you know, and, and so in that way, I, uh, that optimistic mindset is, I'm just happy that my, my idea is out there and something's going on with it, that it's being used, that it's, you know, evolving, that it's changing. And I love to see someone else take an idea and run with it. Tyler, in your role um, in the college, instructors often come to you with problems or challenging challenges that they're experiencing. And what does the process look like for you to help them? Well, I think each instance is, is different. Uh, sometimes I'll have an idea and I'll take it to them. Uh, sometimes I'll have an idea and I'm just like, I need a guinea pig and I need somebody to pilot it. So I'll try and, I'll try and pick the people that I have good relationship with, um, that I know well, and I know that are very open-minded to try new things and they have the time and things like that. And then other times it's an instructor comes and they have a specific problem and they may not even know that I'm the right person to go to. Uh, and sometimes I'm not, and I, I pass them on to the AV department or something like that. But yeah, sometimes they'll have a specific problem and they'll, they'll want to, they don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And, and it's, I always like it when instructors come to us because they don't know what they don't know. And they'll come and I have this thing. What's, what's best for me to do. I remember once we had an instructor come and they wanted, they had this whole plan and it was very complex and I just said, why don't you just give them your phone number and they can call you. And he was like, oh yeah, that'll work. I was like, yeah. And sometimes, and that's that collaboration part, right? Is sometimes we, we can formulate these in huge complex systems in our head. And then when we bounce it off somebody, they're like, oh, wouldn't this be simpler? And you're like, eh, yeah, you're right. So yeah, that, that's usually the, that's, those are the kind of the different ways that instructors come to us. And we tend to think of 
at least I do, tend to think of you in terms of technology and always finding technology solutions, but it certainly sounds like that isn't always the case. No, not always. I mean, my mindset is always what is best for the student. And so if I was a student, I always try and put myself in the student's shoes for how they experience it and put myself in the, in the instructor's shoes for how much work it's going to be for them um, to actually do something. So as a student, I'm always like, well, is this something that I would enjoy? Is this something that would benefit me in my class? Is it too, more work than what I'm going to get out of it? If this is only worth 1%, why am I spending, you know, three hours trying to learn how to use this new piece of software or something just for 1% of my mark? Um, so I try and look at it that way. And with instructors, it's just, are you going to get a lot out of this uh, for what you're going to, uh, for what the student's going to get? You were showing me uh, recently uh, kind of a plastic model kind of a topographic model. Can you talk about the story behind that? Yeah, so well, that, that's an example of an instructor coming to us. And so uh, Tally Netta, an instructor from environmental sciences, she came and she had these models. They were about, you know, 30 centimeters wide, 30 centimeters, centimeters long, and then, I don't know, about five centimeters thick. And they're plastic and they're hollow and they're shiny and they're a topographical model and these little tiny little numbers on there that, are like maybe three millimeters high. She's like, I want to put these online. And I looked at it and I'm like, mm, okay, that's fun. This is actually a really good example of me not being innovative. And so I, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, let's try. I tried a few different things. I tried scanning it. I tried uh, photogrammetry and nothing was working. It was too shiny. And so the cameras, nothing was working really well. And I, I told her, well, I think maybe the best solution is just video. You just video it because she only has one of these models for each different geographic uh, phenomenon and like 20 plus students. And her problem was, is like, well, I have these models and I want, I don't want to sign them out all the time. That's a lot of work for me to sign them out. And then, and then the students have it for a day. And that means 20 other students don't have it for a day and they can't study I, we need a way for all the students to be able to study. And so I looked at it and my solutions were not working. Nothing was working. And I was just like, ah, you know what? I don't think we can do this. It's going to take me 10 hours for each model. Uh, I don't know if it's really worth it for the students. And so we kind of shelved it. This is about a year and a half ago. So we kind of shelved it. Uh, you know, fast forward six months to the start of 2020 not yet COVID, the rumors were going around of COVID, but Andy Benoit, educational development and CTLI comes to me and he says, Talinetta has these models and do you think you could find a solution? It had been six months, technology moves remarkably fast. So I was like, okay, I'll take another look at it. Uh, we found this great plugin for Photoshop that I thought, oh, you know what? I can, I can use this, this will work. I tested it and it didn't work. And I'm like, ah, oh. and this goes back to me seating my, my subconscious. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to dive into this. Um, it, it passed the threshold of me, uh, like pushing it off to the side. And now it's become a problem that I'm curious about. And I'm like, there's gotta be a way. And so I, I dive into it and it wasn't, it was now COVID is full, full bloom. And now we need it. And and so now I'm like, okay, yeah, I've, I've 
I'm seeding my subconscious with this problem. I then am drawing in the evening. I'm just drawing something. And I remember a process in drawing that I'm like, wait a minute. And that's that aha moment. I could probably apply this to that model and not to get into technical uh, details, but it was basically I Frankensteined three or four different applications together in order to make these models, but I can do them in about an hour or two hours each. And, and the end product is amazing. It looks as good. And sometimes if I use augmented reality, it looks better than the real product on camera. And, and it can be delivered online. It can be delivered right into Canvas. As, and you can label it. You can have an instructor talk over it. You can, all these different plus, plus, plus. And it's suddenly this, this, new, this new product, this new, and students can go and every single one of them can look at the same model at the same time. Everything's labeled. Uh, I, I do believe Tally even has um, them go to the link and then label everything uh, on in canvas uh, or they do an exam of some sort with it. Um, and I have to talk to her about, she can actually embed those into canvas. I haven't talked to her about that yet, but, but yeah, and there's, there's this new, this new product that works fantastically and, and it checks all the marks. I think it's great for a student, great for the instructor that doesn't make, take much time of hers. doesn't take much time of the students. They don't have to learn anything. They just have to like click through things and it's a full model. You can see all those little tiny three millimeter numbers better than almost in person. And so it's great. So innovation just needs sometimes the right time in order for it to occur. Yeah, you know what? It, it absolutely does. I have so many examples of where I'm like, this is the thing. This is the next tool. This is the next amazing augmented reality. I was on that in 2009 and I was like, this is great. This is the amazing. I pushed and pushed and it was like nowhere. And now, what is it? 2021, augmented reality is coming back. It's always been there, but it's, it's just now's the time. With all of the work that you do, Tyler, of course, the ultimate goal is to benefit the student and uh, help students in the learning process. So with the work that you did with Tally and, and in finally being able to create this model and this form, do you now see other ways that you might be able to use that process going forward with other instructors or other courses? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think we need to go back and, and, and ask the students how, how much this is impacting them, how, how easy it is, uh, if it's working for them, how we could make it better for them. I think there's always room for that to go back and, and just interview the students, find out, see if it's as impactful as we thought it would be. And yeah, of course, you know, like all the techniques and things that I learned in this process of mishmashing four or five different applications together, I learned a lot and I can go back and I could probably pluck out, you know, working in a 3D application, pluck one piece out of there and say, I can apply this thing that I learned into another application. It'll make other processes easier going forward. I know um, even just working in, um, in our department and all the things that we're trying to do, um, having, and I think I said it earlier about, you know, an instructor doesn't know what they don't know. And that absolutely applies to me as well. 
I don't know what I don't know. And so going through this process and having had to mishmash all these things together, having a problem that actually allowed me to do that, which kind of was my guidepost in doing it, has given me new tools in my toolbox and giving me the ability to have things that I didn't know now know. And when new problems arise or when uh, I have a new idea, a new piece of technology comes out, I can take what I've learned and say, oh, you know what, we can actually, we can apply this to that as well. And so I think in doing this process, I'm making future processes far easier and less discovery um, and less labor intensive. Each time you go along, it sounds like you're adding those tools to your toolbox. So with each challenge and each solution, you've got more things that you can bring forward when you get new challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the hope is I just don't forget certain processes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, that innovation breeds further innovation. But yeah, we all have to uh, work on remembering those things. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and absolutely. That's right. Innovation breeds innovation. And uh, because, you know, things are built off of each other. You can't, you can't instantly have a car without having wheels first, right? And that goes back to that collaborative process too, where, you know, we can, can bounce these ideas off of each other and, and uh, happen upon those great solutions. Yeah. And it's so great. CTLI has a great team uh, that are very open to bouncing ideas off of each other. And so that's, you know, that's one of the great things about CTLI at Lethbridge colleges is we have the people to actually bounce things off of, of all different disciplines as well, which is fantastic. Yeah, that makes a difference because a solution might not be found in one area, but maybe it will be found in another area. When I run creative sessions uh, at the college here, I actually try and ask uh, if people would bring in their like 10-year-olds or someone off the street, if we could get somebody off the street, because just to bring in those different perspectives, it's so refreshing and, it, and they just bring things that you would never think of. And you're like, wow, that's, yeah, I totally agree that we should add that thing to this, you know, new process. That's fantastic. But you don't get that if you don't have a whole bunch of diverse ideas out there. Well, thank you today for being on the show, Tyler. It's been very interesting talking to you and um, it's been fascinating learning about your thoughts on innovation and your creative process. And I'm going to have to uh, try that myself with putting the sticky notes around and seeding your subconscious. Yeah. I'm going to have to uh, play around with that myself. I think that's a, a great, uh, great strategy. So as we wrap up the show, we always ask for um, something that you've liked learning or loved learning recently a recommendation. You know, we all work in education and people who work in education naturally love to discover new things or try out new things. And certainly, um, I mean, that's, a big part of your role. So what is something that you can uh, talk about today? Well, in my role, I get a whole bunch of new technology and I get to test it out. And I find that ridiculously fun. I've tried to remove technology as much as I can from my personal life. I used to play tons of video games. I actually stopped playing video games uh, because I found that, well, if I'm constantly feeding my brain, at what point does my brain get to process it? And so I, you know, I try and, and, detechify my life outside of work as much as possible. Of course, I still have tons of stuff and 
I draw on an iPad and like what you couldn't do that five years ago. So, um, so that's the one thing I do, I picked up, my wife bought me a, a sharpening stone for Christmas and it's a, it's a wet stone. And so I started, I learned how to sharpen knives because all our knives are dull and, and it has been so relaxing and so much fun. Uh, I know some, some people probably don't like the noise of a knife being sharpened, but I love it. And just having, I can sit down and in 10 minutes have a dull piece of metal be razor sharp. And I find it cathartic and, and just the motion of just slowly sharpening a knife and having this great thing. So all my friends are now at the benefit of me sharpening their knives. Uh, almost everybody that I can talk to, if they have knives, I'm like, do you need your knives sharpened? And so I, uh, I, I like, they always, they always say to me, Oh, you're really nice doing this. And I'm feel guilty because I'm kind of like, actually, you're just feeding my addiction at this point of sharpening knives. <laughs> so, so I, uh, yeah, I don't tell them that it's my addiction as, and I've only sharpened like 20 knives, but it's a lot of fun. Well, I love hearing about that and I do have some knives, so we'll have to talk about that because I would love to have them sharpened. I can do that. Tyler, I've really enjoyed talking with you today and with technology always changing and instructors coming to you with uh, new and different problems, we're hoping that we'll be able to have you back again in the future to talk about some of the, the new and different uh, solutions and innovations that you've found. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to come back. This is a lot of fun. For more information on this episode's guest or on CTLI, see the episode notes or visit learninginnovation.ca. Thank you to CTLI for sponsoring this podcast and thanks to Ryan Robinson, Mike Smith, Jude Bielik, Joel Godfrey, and all of the others who have contributed to making this possible. Most of all, thank you for listening. Talk to you again soon on Learning Innovation, the Teaching and Learning Podcast. Mm-hmm.